TV station. Who's ever at the TV station? David Bowie and David Bow. David Bowie and David Bow. David Bowie and David Bow. Are at a TV station. Pop! Now you're a frog. Ribbit. Ribbit. <laughs> Is that the theme song? Yeah. Hello. Welcome to He Saw, She Saw. I am Keith. And I am Corey. And we love movies. Just not the same ones. So every week we pick a movie that we love. And one that the other would never see unless they had to do a podcast about it. And then we talk about it. So what are we talking about this week? We are talking about movies that star musicians. Ah, musicians turn actors. And in both cases they went back to their day jobs. That's not a good sign. Well, they're cult classics, both of them, so. True. Maybe they were like, boom, one and done. You know, I think in one of the cases, definitely, I think that's that's what's going on there. Oh, which one? That would be the movie that I oh. get to watch. Oh. Which is. <laughs> you, I'm so excited, get to watch a movie mm-hmm. that my brothers and I probably watched every single day for, like, I don't know, like, like the whole summer or whatever. That explains so much. What does that mean? Nothing. Um, as I've explained before, I'm a really big fan of parodies, mm-hmm. and I'm a really big fan of Weird Al. Mm-hmm. And so you get to watch UHF. I haven't seen it in about 20 years. I guess I'll have to see if the story surrounding the parodies uh, remains a good connective tissue for the rest of the film. <laughs> I've seen this movie once, and I saw it not in the theater, but as soon as possible once it hit VHS. Mm-hmm. And I just remember, I I have huge respect for Weird Al, incredibly smart, funny. um, Good hair. Incredible hair that he's kept this whole time. And, um, (laughs) or maybe he has, I don't know. Anyway, uh, he's just. Well, he's a clean eater, so. Yeah. yeah, Straight edge. The funny thing is, is that he has just remained so funny for decades. My favorite of his parodies is actually one he did relatively recently Mm -hmm. called Aluminum Foil based off of the uh, Lord song Royals. And, I'm not aware of this. And it's got two parodies in one. It is so well done. So Oh, what kind of a Weird Al fan am I? Well, we'll, we'll get you some edumacation, and Apparently. you'll get to see that one as well. I think he just out Weird me. Yeah, so, I, so he's really good. He's really funny. And I just remember being kind of disappointed in the movie. I, I remember a really funny Gandhi joke. And then... Oh, careful. I, yeah, I know. <laughs> but the rest of the movie, I was just like, I want to laugh, but I can't. So mm. I don't know. Maybe he just hit me on a, a wrong day. Mm. So it, it will be interesting for me to watch this again. Yeah. And the funny thing about this movie is Michael Richards is in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I know everybody's like knows him from Seinfeld. But mm-hmm. when I first watched Seinfeld, I was like, oh, that's Stanley Spadowski from UHF. Yeah, isn't he like a janitor or something? Or... I don't know. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. So we, we will see. So we'll see if I can... If I just missed it the first time. So. All right. Well, I, yeah. And and I'll see if it's still as magical as I remember it being. Well, speaking of magical. The movie that Corey gets to watch Mm -hmm. this week is Labyrinth. It stars the Goblin King, David Bowie. He he does a pretty iconic uh, performance. He's a musician. He is a musician. Definitely. He has nice hair. Especially in this movie. Yeah, lots of it. And uh, may or may not be a wig. I, I think it's a wig. I'm yeah. sure it must be a wig. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a really interesting, it, it's, it's well done. It's fantasy. Uh, it's the first movie I remember seeing Jennifer Connelly in. She does a great job. David Bowie does a good job. I was 
wasn't allowed to watch movies like this because they would give little Corey nightmares. Yes, little Corey would definitely have had a ton of nightmares with this movie. Is big Corey going to have nightmares? <laughs> I don't think so. Now, is there like demons in it? Uh, no, I'm pretty sure he's a goblin king, not a demon king. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, but it's it's a really cool movie, and you're you're gonna hate this, but it has layers. But don't, don't tell me it's got layers. Just follow the story. Like I didn't. I, I didn't realize there were layers until uh-huh. I read like a few articles afterwards. So so, okay. so the narrative is very engrossing. Uh-huh. Just follow the narrative as it is. Well, now I can't because I'm going to be constantly thinking about the layers. Okay, do me a favor. Mm-hmm. Next time we're going to see a movie that has layers, like don't say anything and then I will figure out if it has layers. And then afterwards you could be like, did you catch the layers? And then I can like think about it and mm-hmm. then go back and be like, hmm. And try to figure out what the layers are that way. Let's backward plan that. <laughs> All right. All right. I guess we'll do that next because time. Because you're going to make my brain explode. Oh, this one has layers. Stop saying layers. <laughs> Welcome to Uncle Nutsy's Clubhouse. Hey, kids. Are you having a good time? <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think of UHF after seeing it? After such a long time. You know, I was, I'm happy to report. Mm-hmm. This time I was looking at it with a very critical eye. I feel like the story served the parodies and the commercials and everything really well. A lot of the the movie type parodies, I had actually seen this movie and knew those uh, tropes and those lines and everything from this movie. Oh, okay. So the Indiana Jones thing, like I hadn't seen Indiana Jones at that point. So oh, I, wow. I had no idea. And mm-hmm. so uh, I saw this before I saw Indiana Jones, the Close Encounters, and then the, the We Don't Need No Stinking Badges. We Don't Need No Stinking Badger. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think it's funny that I learned all of these pop culture references from UHF. Yeah. One of the big arguments like about the movie where they were trying to develop it is how do you create a story to allow Weird Al to be Weird Al? Mm-hmm. And and while people have like dogged the story, it's like, I, it's a very simple story, but I don't think it's a bad story. No, it, it makes know? sense. Yeah, it's it like, makes, yeah, that's It's a good entree would... to how you could, yeah. you know, explore Weird Al's imagination. You so. put him in a spot where he is imaginative. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this movie totally held up. I, I was giggling and mm-hmm. uh, I heard you laugh a couple of times, so... Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm of, feeling hopeful. A lot of ha-ha. <laughs> Which, you know, I couldn't ask for more than ha-ha. When Keith and I were dating, I lived with a couple of girls, and they always would comment on how they knew Keith was over because we'd be downstairs watching something, mm-hmm. and they would hear me go, ha-ha, and then they would hear Keith go, ha-ha. <laughs> we had the same laugh. <laughs> but, like, we hadn't been dating for too long, so it's not like we were, like, doing each other's laugh. Like, we just both have yeah. the... That's cute. I never heard that you story didn't hear before. That? No. Yeah. I love laughing with you. I love laughing with you. So would you like to hear my pitch for this movie? I would. A dreamer gets the opportunity of a lifetime to turn around a television station, but can even weird out turn around a station doomed to be on UHF. It's not a network affiliate. It's not. <laughs> it's not. So there's a couple of things before I launch into plot that we should talk about. So number one, there is no human way to go through all the bits of this movie. No. There are so many. So many it is It is the most mad magazine movie I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Where it's like every, there's like Sergio Aragonis mm-hmm. In the cartoons going through everything. Well, it is very, um, it's like Airplane where there's like stuff happening in the background and yeah. stuff. Have you seen Airplane? 
No, I haven't. Keith, you haven't seen Airplane? I've seen like little bits of oh it. Oh my but... gosh, we gotta watch Airplane. <sighs> Do you like any plane movies that that I would maybe not want to watch? Uh, I don't know. We'll have to think about it. Okay. So. Well, to be continued. Yeah, maybe Rocketeer, but we'll see. Ugh. So anyway, um, <laughs> the other thing we have to mention is is even if you're our age, you might not know what UHF is. Television used to get a couple different frequencies, and you had your main channels, which would be one dial. Oh my gosh, I'm five million years old, and that was your main easiest stations to get. Mm-hmm. And then if you hit U, that was actually for UHF, mm-hmm. and then there was a second dial mm-hmm. below that, a plethora, where there would be a lot of different numbers, and that was. It was an actual dial. Yeah, and it was definitely a second tier of channels that were just just <laughs> really <premium>. local, <laughs> wacky, just... Isn't it crazy that there were actual dials and you had to sit in front of the... T- oh, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, again, it makes us sound five million years old. But, yeah, you, a, a remote was a very cool thing. Now they're crucial because now TVs <laughs> don't even work without them. No. So the film opens with a parody of the opening scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark. There's five million gags from mm-hmm. that Raiders opening scene and it ends with Weird Al getting flattened by the boulder which <laughs> Indy skillfully evades in the actual movie. Mm-hmm. So we find out this is all just a daydream of a lovable loser George Newman played by Weird Al and he is about to get himself and his best friend Bob fired from a horrible burger joint because he severely overcooks fries, <laughs> accidentally squirts winning customers with mustards and massively insults his manager not knowing she was right behind them. Mm-hmm. And so we definitely have like kind of a dumb and dumber vibe but totally. not quite. Totally. It's like it's it's the vibe but they're like actual functioning humans whereas with mm-hmm. you know Harry and Lloyd you're like how do they even exist? We uh, we find out that George and Bob have been fired from a series of jobs and just in this month mostly because George has this really weird imagination mm-hmm. which is distracts him all the time. He's got this uh, girlfriend who loves him uh, named Terry who's played by Victoria Jackson he has a doting aunt who thinks he's just the best um, so he's at a party not really explained there's just kind of a, a party happening at his aunt's house it's very confusing his aunt is uh, you know in her 60s or something like that and in the back room his uncle the Uncle aunt's, Harvey yeah Uncle Harvey is in the middle of a poker game and so he comes out it's a su- business meeting Keith yeah comes out with a huge wad of money and he's like hey look what I won I won this deed to a TV station that's about to go under. Mm-hmm. And so the aunt is like, oh, like well, I, I kind of like the idea of us owning a TV station, and I know just the guy to run it. And so she gives it to George. He's uh, perfect. Weird Al. He's, he's perfect. Look at us. that face. I love her. So we get there, and the, the station is just an absolute dump. Um, <laughs> there isn't quite a it crank looks like a bathroom to get it going. At a park. It's like an abandoned gas station with no pumps anymore. <laughs> And so we meet this really eccentric, like, scientist dude who... Philo. Philo, who's, like, uh, introduces himself, like, as a station manager or something. He lives there. Yeah. He's the chief engineer. Okay, yeah. Friend Drescher is the receptionist who really wants to be a news anchor. There is a little person who's their one camera person, one of their camera people. Noodles McIntyre. Noodles. McIntosh. McIntosh, sorry. And then we also, we learn about another, um, I don't think he has a line in the entire thing, but there's this big black guy who's also a camera <laughs> operator who's just, he's is gonna, the best person in this movie. He just watches in horror and everything that happens before. He is us. So a package is delivered wrongly to mm-hmm. this podunk station instead of the main network affiliate downtown. And so, Channel 8. yeah, so George Newman decides, hey, I'm going to go down and meet the competition because mm-hmm. I know how to talk to those guys. We go down there and the channel's owner is named RJ and he's played 
wonderfully by Kevin McCarthy. Mm-hmm. And he is just this over-the-top, unapologetic, misogynistic, like, villain. He doesn't quite have a mustache to twirl, but he might right. as well. <laughs> when we go to the station, we also meet Stanley... Um, Spadowski. Stanley Spadowski, who's played by Kramer, uh, Kramer um, Mike, Michael Richards mm-hmm. from Seinfeld. And he's basically doing his best. Ernest becomes a janitor. Very sweet, mm-hmm. but very simple. He gets fired for something that's not his fault. And they take away his mop that he was given when he was seven. George takes pity on him and says, oh, I guess we probably need a janitor. And so Stanley's, yeah, Stanley's like, oh, going to be his new best friend. And starts cleaning his glasses. Yeah, in the elevator <laughs> in a really weird way. So, um, but even with George's like super active imagination, he, he starts to make a few shows and nothing's really becoming a hit. But we get all these parodies of TV shows. Mm-hmm. The station is still about to go under. And so he's super stressed. He conks out of sleep. Well, we have to have a weird old music video. Music video, yeah. So the uh, Beverly Hillbillies uh, Money for Nothing parody that he had that was famous. He gets up. Oh, my gosh, we're going to lose the station. And he says, at least my girlfriend still loves me. And he's like, oh, no, I forgot about this dinner I had arranged on the air for her birthday (laughs) and invite your parents. Mm -hmm. So Terry, played by Victoria Jackson, just calls him and says, you don't have to worry about missing any of my birthdays because I don't want to ever see you ever again. And hangs up with a pink taffeta dress she had worn that with was fancy. huge sleeves. And uh, <laughs> so. He's done this to her before, though. Yeah, we've kind of established. Like, never malicious. Just He's just not, he's not good at keeping appointments. Kind of like uh, Tony Stark. Um, wow. The next day, George is just in the dumps. And he's created this show called Uncle Nutsy's Clubhouse. <laughs> And he was trying before, and the kids just weren't having it. And this time, he does the most of that was our opening bit for this, yes. where he just he tries to do, and he's just so morose and so <laughs> depressed. The worst possible child's host in this case. He cuts to a cartoon and then walks out, and he's like, I need to get a drink. And but you don't drink. He's like, well, I've been meaning to start. So <laughs> as he's walking out, Stanley is cleaning doorknobs or something. Mm-hmm. He says, hey, Stanley, ever wanted a TV show? And he's like, well, yeah. And he's like, all right, you're on. And so Stanley's like, all right, so he takes his mop. So we go to we go to a local bar, just a, a dive bar. Such and, a dive. There's and, so many people at this bar at like 10 a.m. Yeah, yeah, or whatever time it's supposed to be. Bob, of course, wants a beer. And Weird Al wants a blueberry daiquiri, of course. So just with to be crazy with umbrellas and flamingo cup and all that. <laughs> and they're shocked because when the station cuts from commercial and it's back to his channel mm-hmm. he's shocked and number one they're watching the channel and number two he's shocked that they're loving they're like it's back on you guys yeah stanley spadowski's clubhouse <laughs> stanley he has just this inspiring way of talking to kids and he's just so weird and like he has this big speech which gets everybody just super excited about cleaning up their lives it's a and metaphor keith and so yeah it's on different levels so suddenly the station is a huge success and mm-hmm. we have even more parodies of tv shows that they make can i say my favorite sure the Geraldo one town talk yeah this movie's parodying what was just really peaking at that point mm-hmm. is you know they had like donahue and sarah jesse sally jesse sally jesse yeah so anyway yeah, Geraldo. and so they would have like kind of semi-controversial topics like in the 80s. Not as bad as Jerry Springer. And then just in the 90s, it just went right into the toilet. Yeah. Did you see when Geraldo Rivera did get hit in the face with a chair? No, but I was happy about it because it was just, I, because like people like that, I just don't, you know, and I know some people like them, but I just like, I don't like raconteurs. Like I think there's enough things in life mm-hmm. to be legitimately upset about. Mm-hmm. 
that people who just create controversy for controversy's sake, I just don't have any time for them. Um, so that's one. So that is one of the, the best parodies. So the station is just going through the roof. They're number one. And over so the network affiliate. Yeah, over the network affiliate. Right. Small problem. George's uncle, he has a huge gambling debt come due. He needs to sell the station. And sure enough, RJ calls to say, hey, I want to buy your station. So the thing is, is the aunt gets really upset. She hears what's happening. And so she forces her husband to say, look, you've got to give George a chance to raise the money. Mm -hmm. And so what do you do? You, of course, have a telethon. A KPBS telethon. Yeah. And so they do in that they're, they're going to sell shares. It's not donations. They're selling shares in the stations. So we'll all, all of our stations. As long as Stanley's there, they just are making the money and they're just raking it in. So, of course, what RJ does is RJ kidnaps Stanley. And things just absolutely tank. Uh, they figure out what's happened. And so George races off to save Stanley. Not that Stanley needed a lot of help because he ends up going like full Hulk Hogan once he sees the mob. And he fights him off for a while. And then George shows up and then there's guns. So they're in trouble. And then a karate studio shows up, which he's befriended earlier in the movie. <laughs> so Stanley races back and they're, they're, they need to raise $75,000. And then it gets to 10 and they're at $73,000. They're so close. And so RJ is going to get the station. So he wants to gloat. So he gets up there and starts gloating. And then a bum, which um, which George had befriended earlier, mm -hmm. says, hey, I'll take all the shares you got. He's like, oh, wow, how much money is that? He said, oh, it's 2000 And so we see, oh, my gosh, that's enough mm -hmm. to to pay off the gangster to keep the, the station. The bum has a very funny bit. Now, I don't know if bum is the thing that we should say. The homeless person. The homeless person who asks for change. Who asks for change. His bit. Who seems to be incredibly drunk. Yes. His bit is he asks for change. You give him change and he gives you a dollar back. Yeah. So he counts it out. So while RJ is just up there ranting and monologuing, Weird Al, you know, takes the money, goes over to the gangster, gives it to the gangster in the, in the car and drives off. And they saved it. And Yay! what's ironic about it is that that $2,000 that the homeless person got was because he has to ch ask for change from RJ. Mm -hmm. And RJ, just trying to insult him, gives him a gives him a penny and kind of drops that at him. And the, the homeless person is super excited, so RJ has no idea what's going on. Evidently, he gave him like a rare 1955 double-I Denver, Denver Mint, Mint Abraham Lincoln penny <laughs> that was worth a fortune. And so he was able to donate to the station and buy a Rolex, which RJ has been yelling at people to buy him for the whole movie. Mm -hmm. Terry is back with Weird Al. She's and so proud then, of him no matter yeah, what happened. Yeah, no matter what happened. And then he saved the day, and so we end with a Gun with the Wind parody and seeing another Weird Al song at the very end. Did you like Spatula City? Spatula City was a good bit. So Spatula City is one of the five billion bits in this. And so it's <laughs> about a store that just sells spatulas. So there's no better way to say I love you than a spatula. A funny spatula city story is I was watching an interview with Weird Al. The host was asking him, like, okay, what's the weirdest thing <laughs> a fan has ever done to show homage to you? And he said, I had one of my concerts, and at the meet and greet, I met a couple who had tattooed spatulas <laughs> on their stomachs. <laughs> because in UHF, they have the commercial from Spatula City, where yeah. there's no better way to say I love you. Then than to buy spatula. each other a spatula. Should we get spatula tattoos? No. So, <laughs> that was UHF. Um, I cried at the end. You did. <laughs> you did cry at the I end. I was just so happy. There you go. 
This was a movie after his second big release. Weird Al was kind of blowing up. He had killed it in a lot of short films, a lot of short videos. So he's like, well, I guess a movie's the next step. They love things like uh, Airplane and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So they, they were trying to figure out a way to kind of like what would be the movie that he could make to display what he's best at. So right. they came up with this UHF concept. I think it was great. Which I think which I think is a really good idea. Yeah. And it, it starred a lot of comics that he enjoyed or were friends with. So like Dr. Demento's in it very briefly. He basically wrote Stanley with uh, Michael Richards in mind because he was a, a, from what I understand, kind of like still an underground comic. But yeah. he had to, he had the, he basically just did his shtick. Well, and Emo Phillips is in it. Yeah, it's a really eclectic cast, so... Can I just say the emo Phillips scene where he cuts his thumb off with the table saw? Mm -hmm. I think it's the reason why I have a fear of table saws. Well, as you should. I mean, that was a... <laughs> I don't think I, I mean, knew it... that until I just I watched it today. I was like, oh my God, this is why I think I'm going to fall face first into a table saw. Well, I think... And that's one of the things that's so funny as a teacher. Because people always <laughs> lament how we don't have like auto shop class or metal shop oh or God, wood shop. Oh my God, I can't even imagine. And I'm just like, that is just so much suing waiting to happen. <laughs> like, and I, and I know people need to learn those skills. Yeah, but not but I also in understand, grade. Oh, my gosh. I only had to use a table saw one time, and it was in set design class. I, everyone had to use a table saw once. And so I used it once, and then I stayed away from it because I had visions of me falling face first into the blade. Yeah. yeah you're, 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 you aren't the right height for a table saw, too. No. So. And then I have a friend who happens to be blind, and they made her take set design. <laughs> Sorry, Jeez. set building. It wasn't set design, it was set building. They made her take the class, and I was her seeing eye, Corey, for that class. Mm -hmm. And so she had, to do, she had to do a cut on the table saw, too. I freaked out more when she had to do it than when I had to do it. Yeah, I had to do wood shop in seventh grade, and that was it. I didn't have, I think we had metal shop and wood shop, and I just did wood shop, and I just, that's not my thing, yeah. so... I did. I had. Oh, my parents still have a key that I made, oh, a big okay. winning key. Oh, so. I, yeah, I've seen that. I had to do. I did a like nine weeks in wood shop in seventh grade, and I had to make it was a telephone message drawer thing, and I was like everybody else had theirs built, and I was still like trying to measure and cut mm -hmm. because I'm really bad at cutting straight lines and measuring. Um, so war stories. <laughs> some of the good things about this movie. If you are eight, this is the movie for you. <laughs> Lots of very simple over-the-top type humor. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's spoofing things, but the spoofs are so clear, I think that you don't need to know the original to, to no, find it funny. you don't. So... I am, I am a which is living, an breathing example of, its, of that. Of its, of its, uh, of its appeal, is mm -hmm. it? And then very difficult to do. The cast is actually really likable. I don't know when Fran Drescher has been that likable, mm -hmm. but she, like... <laughs> Yeah, she, um, you know, still has a nasally voice, but yeah. she comes off really good in this film and makes sense. Her yeah. character makes sense. And I I saw critics saying that, like, Weird Al was like a vacuum in this movie because he kind of plays a straight man. But I was like, I thought he did a good job. I mean, I thought he was a very lovable loser. Totally. I mean, cl clear loser. And you're, like, cheering for him. Yeah, yeah. So this, this he's is... he's really trying to do the right thing. Yeah, if you like underdogs, this is totally your movie because most of the people on here are underdogs. So... <laughs> It is, um, yeah, that uh, uh, Victoria Jackson was, I thought, likable and good. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and David Bowie, not Bowie. I like it. I was I was half watching the credits. And I was like, David Bowie's in this? It's like, no, it's David Bowie. It's David Bowie. And so. Uh, he played a uh, villain in Beverly Hills 90210. Oh. He was a stalker. Wow. I can, he looks like a stalker. He, he, he does. He does look a little weird. He looks even more like a stalker. Yeah, so David Bowie plays. He stalks Donna. 
plays his uh, plays Weird Al's long suffering best friend Bob and and Kevin McCarthy I thought was great as the villain he's a I know him as the main villain from Inner Space yeah, which he was hilarious and played basically the same, the same guy. character things which are kind of uh, about it a lot of the gags in this movie do age very well but some of them really don't there's um, several points of like ethnic humor where either Asians or Latinos are kind of like the butt of jokes that they're just were then they're the and they're the only ones of the race in the movie which mm-hmm. is what kind of makes it doubly bad There's no other example it's, it's relying on ethnic humor that hey if you're not american then you you talk funny um yeah. so that yeah yeah when we were watching it i was kind of like ooh. if you're eight this is a great movie for you <laughs> <laughs> so i on second viewing i i kind of had aged out um, I think it's one of those movies that probably the more you watch it, the funnier it becomes. Oh, yeah. So because you probably see new things. Were no. you surprised that an alien was involved? I, I was. There was a twist um, <laughs> that had nothing to do with the plot. No. So yeah, and it's yeah, it's like fine. Like I said, it's like it's, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. This is probably the best way for me to explain Weird Al. What makes him amazing is he takes a song like Blurred Lines, which is a totally catchy song with a really bad message, but and he makes a song called Word Crimes. And what it's about is it's about how no one understands grammar anymore. Mm-hmm. So it makes fun of people <laughs> posting and makes fun of all the things that people normally screw up. He makes that at a time when social media is exploding. Not so it's only, more than just parody. So it's thought. more than just parody. It's making you look at, mm-hmm. he, he can see kind of the cultural waves changing. He's the mirror. He's amazing. You know, maybe I would love to meet him one day. He's just I would love to meet him. Yeah, he's I feel like he is probably who we think he is. Yeah, yeah, he's he's very I mean he's, he's probably very over the top like <laughs> in any like regular interview. Well, I don't know because Maybe he's one of those extroverted introverts. I think he's one of those people who's like Jim Carrey. It's like, "Oh, there's a camera, I'm on." Mm-hmm. And but it sounds like at least from the interviews I've read and the little bit of research I've done, it sounds like he is more like quiet in real life. And then he just has this wacky imagination. Most uh, improvisers and comedians are extroverted introverts. I mean, that's what makes them so powerful is you've <laughs> got to be able to sit back and view what's happening mm-hmm. to be able to comment on it. So. If you've ever like hung out with improvisers after a show. <laughs> yeah, it's so can be funny. I mean, some people are just like super extroverted, but the majority of them are like... We're all hiding in a corner. Oh my gosh, yeah. Like on stage, <laughs> they could do anything. And then you're like, you know, and you talk to them afterwards and they're like, oh my gosh, I totally screwed up that scene. And you're like, dude, the whole room was laughing. Stop it. <laughs> like, like I'm, yeah, I know this one little bit didn't go the way you wanted, yeah. but... Well, one time we did a show for... Uh, a bunch of children. Mm-hmm. It was a week-long vacation Bible school, and uh, we were Professor Wilma and her assistant. Mm-hmm. And I was I was the assistant. I wasn't Professor Wilma. Yeah, I was Professor Wilma. We did this week-long, you know, every day in the morning mm-hmm. we do the show. This was like at a, a big church. Was it hundreds of kids or just like hundreds? A, of yeah, kids. it was hundreds of kids. Yeah. And so this guy who's in charge of it, he just kind of like trusted us. He hadn't watched us rehearse or anything. No, he hadn't seen us. I worked at the church in the coffee shop, and he knew I was an actor, so he asked if I would be willing. It seemed to me that he was having a little bit of like, uh, you guys know what you're doing, right? Okay, well, because you know there's a lot of kids out there right and so it was so funny so i was the intro i was the warm-up for, warm for Corey to come out <laughs> and so i was like no no, no i got it and I'm, I'm i'm usually pretty laid back and so i think he was nervous and so it was so funny so <laughs> comes showtime i get my cue i 
burst through the curtain with 10 times more energy than he's ever seen. Flip the switch. And I just flipped the switch and I got the kids doing the wave and <laughs> cheering and clapping. And I got about 10 seconds through the shtick and he was like, oh, okay. And and then- he, he literally walked out of the room, did not watch any of our scenes. They, they know what they're doing. So it was funny. But at the end of the week, they had this picnic. Parents came. And I think he said, if you want to go out and meet the kids. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, yeah, of course. That's like part of doing a kid's show. <laughs> and Corey, Corey was not about that life. I did So not. she was, she did not want to. <laughs> I didn't want to break the fourth wall. Yeah. But we did it. And it was hilarious. Like, no one wanted to meet me. They all wanted to meet Corey. <laughs> Well, this and little girl who was like almost like, my size. Basically your size, but like eight, <laughs> jumped into Corey's arms. Yeah, it was very cute. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that we both got very lucky with. I think we're well suited. We're very complimentary to each other and we change depending on, mm-hmm. you know, we even change in relation to each other. Depending, Sometimes you're totally out there and sometimes I'm reserved and sometimes I'm out there and you're like, mm-hmm. So like, you know. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be right here. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> Like my pro wrestling shows. Corey's like, uh-huh, just super quiet. <laughs> so, yeah. So I just wanted to call attention to Michael Richards' uh, physicality. It was amazing. There was not one part of his body that was not bent in a Stanley Spadowski question mark. <laughs> he had this physicality where mm-hmm. he was just always like. <laughs> yeah, it's different than Kramer. It, it's funny. Totally different than Kramer. One of the one of the crazy things about him is evidently he's he trained at the Stella Adler studio uh, and did a lot of work. And so he's Well, like, I could tell. He's a flat-out dramatic actor. And he said, the problem is, is everyone looks at me as a clown. Yeah. Like, they see my hair, they see my size, and I can do the other acting, and I want to do the other acting. Yeah. But people see me. They mm-hmm. see Stanley or they see Kramer. You know, I did recognize the, his movement training. Yeah. I, I could spot it a mile away. Did you know who almost played Bob, who was offered the role and turned it down? Who? Jerry Seinfeld. Was offered oh my the, the role of Bob because he was. I mean, at that point, he would much have been younger. so wrong. Yeah, to- totally. But that would have been crazy. So this is a thing for me personally. It's just kind of a thumbs down, and I might need to watch it. It might be like Zoolander, where I need to watch it like four or five times, and it's the funniest <laughs> thing ever. But I think the other thumb, to be fair, needs to be in the middle. Okay. It's a time capsule for. Mm-hmm. The type of a type of humor that we saw a ton in the '80s, and plus, it's just weird out. I think that was a really good way to showcase his abilities, and and I cannot look past the intelligence and effort put forth by Weird Al, by Fran Drescher, by Victoria Jackson, by Kevin McCarthy. You know, they took, you know, they made that by movie. the cameraman guy, the but, big, the big black. Yeah, guy. the big black. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I, I feel so bad. I don't know his name. He was hilarious. Um, yeah, no, they did. I mean, they did the best they could with that. Well, that's good. That's good enough for me. Yeah, that was UHF. Welcome to Uncle Nazi's Clubhouse. What in the David Bowie shoulder pads did I just watch? Well, I'm glad you didn't say what in the David Bowie cog cod piece did i just watch i was debating on whether i should say that or not and i I thought uh one i might have to explain what a cod piece is and if you have to explain it it's not funny and two um it's already overtly sexual i didn't want to uh immediately take it to that level (laughs) it's going to be really interesting to do this one because there was so much we each wanted to say and discuss with each other before this and so we are actually in rather record time doing this episode because neither of us can stand it anymore i do have a theory I think that you had a crush on Jennifer Connelly. 
of course I had a crush on her a little bit. So mm-hmm. yeah, when it, when it comes to how it held up, it really didn't. I remember watching the movie and going, okay, Jennifer Connelly's cool. David Bowie's cool. I like the movie, but they didn't, I, it, it just wasn't amazing like it should have been. And then I have, I literally have not seen it since I saw it in the first run in theaters. Mm-hmm. And I've read over time people talking about how like, hey, it's a, it's a good movie and so on and so forth. So I thought I was just like, oh, it was just that I was super, I was relatively super young when I watched this movie. So I just missed a lot. And watching it now as much of a full-fledged adult as I probably ever will be. It's a bit of a mess. So it's it only had like 25 or 26 drafts of the script. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like it was just not done. They probably got to a point where it's like, we've got to start filming this. Mm-hmm. And there's so many ideas. And, well, I, and they kept arguing going back and forth over what it was going to be, too. It's kind of a jumble. I still think there are some very cool, unforgettable moments in it. I hate it when they remake a movie that shouldn't be remade. Mm-hmm. You know, let me update Beauty and the Beast and Little Mermaid and all that, and all these movies that don't need to be updated. Mm-hmm. Princess Bride. Well, no, they didn't redo Princess Bride. They keep talking about it, though. But, but they shouldn't. They and shouldn't. That, that's my thing, is you should go back and redo the movies you biffed the first time. <laughs> make me Labyrinth. Make me the movie that should have been made. we need a remake of Labyrinth. Well, I think they needed to make stronger choices. I think there's some germs of some really interesting ideas, but mm-hmm. I, I think it's a movie that is ripe to be remade with just a bit more work. I have a feeling it's going to be like three hours long. <laughs> All right, so my pitch for this movie, I'm trying really hard to keep my tone neutral so I don't give away how I feel about this. Mm-hmm. Which in itself lets us know how you felt about this, but keep going. <laughs> An overdramatic teenager pitches a fit when asked to babysit for her baby brother and wishes the goblins would take him away. Her wish is granted and is challenged by the Goblin King to conquer his labyrinth in order to win back the child, who is a baby. I would just add a half-brother. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't matter. Again, if they, I, the, the, the script, I know they did have 25 versions. They need at least, so they need at least a 26th, if not a 30th. But, mm-hmm. okay, I'll be quiet. Okay. You promise? No, but <laughs> keep going. So, Sarah, played by Jay Con, she seems to be rehearsing for a play mm-hmm. or LARPing uh, in a park with her dog. And this random owl that is just uh, hanging out nearby, owl, not owl, so not, not some guy named owl, but an owl. Or Alf, no Alf <laughs> in this animal. movie. <laughs> she panics when she realizes that she's late. And so, uh, up until this point, you're like, is this olden times? It was reminiscent of Alice in Wonderland when she's kind of wandering around in a, in a park. Um, she lifts up, she pulls up her Renaissance uh, skirts, and we see that she's wearing jeans underneath as she runs home. Uh, right away, we notice that she's kind of a spoiled brat, and she has a huge fit at this woman who I turned to you and said, "Oh, is that her stepmother?" And we quickly learn that yes, it and is. Like the next line. The next it's line. Like, <laughs> next line. Me like an evil stepmother. Mm-hmm. So her parents have the nerve to ask her to babysit her infant brother while they go out for an evening. So she uh, has a tantrum as she locks herself in her room. And we get a very slow pan across all of her uh, things. And I thought to myself, well, this will probably play into the movie later. Hmm. We see there's a couple of books, but right away jumps out at you. Alice in Wonderland. She has a Where the Wild Things Are by Maurice Sendak. She has like a little mini labyrinth game. She seems to be really into the theater as well because she has a red curtain canopy for her bed. And she has uh, several scrapbooks of like playbills and actors and stuff. One of the things that's the problem with the screenplay is that the clippings aren't random. That's her mom. 
the woman looks like her. I think if that is truly what they were going for with the screenplay, I think that they should have made it more They should have made it much clearer. Yeah. You know, if the mom has died, then that would make much more sense on why she's obsessed with the show that her mom was in mm-hmm. and why she's LARPing by herself. You Whatever know, her and mom was in the labyrinth play. Well, that was the that was that what she was, was inferred is okay. that her mom starred in this play that and got she's probably wearing her mom's costume. critical acclaim and would also explain that the anger towards the stepmom and anger towards the half brother. So the baby Toby, who's maybe a year old, he was kind of cruising at some one point in the movie, and I remember that. Mm-hmm. They're about one year old or after when they start kind of walking and cruising. Yeah, when they start crawling at like 500 miles per hour. Yeah. (laughs) When you say no. So he's crying. And I really did not like this scene at all. It made me not like her because she picks him up and she like manhandles him and like roughly like handles him and basically tells him to shut up. Mm -hmm. Doesn't comfort him at all. And then she wishes the goblins would come take him away. And so he stops crying. And she's like, Toby? And she realizes that Toby is no longer there. He's missing. So then Jareth. What kind of a goblin king name is Jareth? It's probably one that a 15-year-old girl in the 80s would come up with. (laughs) For a evil yet romantic and sexual goblin king. But it's quite an entrance. So the goblin king, he shows up in riding pants and kabuki makeup. And he offers Sarah her dreams in exchange for her brother. And at that point I was like, Okay, like dreams, like sleepy time dreams, or like this is the kind of car I want, boyfriend I want, job I want kind of dreams. Like, what does he mean? What, yeah, when I took it at that moment, and especially when I did a little bit of extra research afterwards, it's like your dream of having the life you wish you had. Yes, and she rejects the offer, and she asks for her brother back. Mm-hmm. So Jareth gives her 13 hours to tackle his labyrinth to find Toby before he turns little Toby into a goblin forever. So she's dropped off in front of the labyrinth and meets Hoggle. I was wondering, is there somebody in there? Hoggle is played by Sherry Wiener, who is a uh, person with dwarfism Mm -hmm. and uh, who everybody keeps mistakenly calling Hogwarts. And I was like, huh. And I looked it up to see if JK Rowling used that as an inspiration. And there's really no clear evidence, but a lot of people on Reddit think that that's where Hogwarts came from. She would have been the perfect age to love Labyrinth. Yeah. Hoggle helps her find the entrance, but then she's on her own. So Sarah, uh, she gets in there. She's wandering around. She's not really finding any, like, turns to take, and she's getting frustrated. But then she bumps into a worm who tells her things are not as they appear. And she finds an opening that you can't see initially, but she walks in there and realizes it is an opening. But the worm accidentally gives her uh, directions away from the castle because why would she want to go to the castle? Mm -hmm. She's like, don't go that way. And so she goes the opposite direction. So she falls into a hole of grabby hands. And I thought, wow, what a metaphor for this movie in a nutshell. Wow. (laughs) And ends up in what they call an abulet which I guess is a dungeon, and meets up with Hoggle again, who is supposed to sabotage her by taking her back to the start. But she bribes him with a plastic bracelet, so he agrees to get her as close to the castle as he can. And Jareth shows up a couple of times um, and asks, how's it going? And Sarah's like, oh, well, your labyrinth is, like, super easy. So he's like, really? Okay, well. And he shortens up the time that she has. And she yells, that's not fair! One of many times where she yells, that's not fair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm 
gonna skip over a lot of stuff because it, it's as usual it's a lot of stuff so sarah finds a mob attacking this large beast and she throws rocks at them and uh, she frees him his name is ludo and they're friends now mm-hmm. <laughs> so meanwhile jareth is threatening hoggle with banishment to the bog of eternal stench where if you even put so much of, the, of a foot in you will stink for the rest of your life um, if he doesn't give Sarah a magic peach, that is going to erase her memory. And I was like, hmm, roofies? <laughs> it's a little before this time, but okay. Sarah is attacked slash annoyed by some creatures called fireies, and they take their heads off and sing a weird song. Mm-hmm. Hoggle saves her from them, and they fall through a trap door, and they are now hanging over the bog of eternal stench, which had things coming out of it that looked like actual anuses that were farting. (laughs) So they run into Ludo again, and he helps them. And they are stopped by Didymus, the keeper of the bridge. And this scene was very reminiscent of, like, Monty Python to me. And later I found out that Terry Jones of Monty Python was one of the ones they gave one of the first passes uh, to for writing the script. One of the later passes, yeah. And he, he was given the only screenwriter credit. Mm-hmm. Could you describe Didymus for us, please? Didymus is like a little fox. He rides Ambrosius, who's a sheepdog, who is sometimes a puppet, sometimes a real dog, and my favorite character in this entire movie, especially when he's a real dog and he hauls ass. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, knocks over part of the set, so you see it's not sharp blades. <laughs> I'll get to it later, but remind me about scaring the dog and scaring the child. All right. I didn't appreciate it. I'll mm-hmm. say it now. So eventually they get him to allow them to, to pass, and Didymus joins them. So everyone, they're walking around, everyone's hungry, so Hoggle gives Sarah the poison peach, and she falls asleep and dreams that she's at this masquerade ball where she's being stared at slash followed slash wooed, question mark, by Jareth as he sings about falling in love with her. And at that point I turned to you and I said, is he grooming her? So she escapes and falls into the trash, because that's what happens when you rebuff his advances. You, you're trash, right? Wow. So there's some trash creatures, and uh, she tries to distract Sarah with her bedroom. She's a replica of her bedroom, and then she starts you know, shoving all her favorite childhood toys at her. She forgot like what the point of what she was doing was, and she's mm-hmm. trying to remember what the point is. And so this trash lady keeps handing her stuff. Um, it doesn't work, and the the illusionist crumbles. So then she ends up finding Ludo and Didymus at the gates of the castle. Mm-hmm. And Hoggle's gone because, you know, he did a bad thing. So they get attacked by a gate robot, but mm-hmm. then Hoggle shows up and saves the day, and he's just kind of like, sorry, not sorry. And she's like, you know what, I forgive you, you're still my friend. And he's just like, oh, what? Never heard of that before. They make it all the way to where she's supposed to go meet up with Jareth. And so Sarah goes into the M.C. Escher room of stairs mm-hmm. and chases baby Toby and Jareth around until uh, Jareth confronts her and Gaslight slash victim blames her with a song about how everything he has done was for her and says creepy things like, fear me, love me, do as I say, and I'll be your slave. And just let me rule you and you can have whatever you want. So Sarah does this monologue from the Labyrinth play that she was rehearsing from the beginning. And she uh, she forgets the one line. uh, And then she remembers it. 
It's that you have no power over me. So then she and Toby are back at home safe, and Jareth turns into the owl from the beginning of the movie. Sarah realizes that she's now grown up, and she starts putting away all her childish things, and she sees her friends in the mirror. And doesn't want to say goodbye to them. Mm -hmm. And they tell her that if they ever need her just to call Mm -hmm. and she says i need you Mm -hmm. and when she says i need you they all show up again but everybody shows up the fireys show up and the guards show up that were chasing around ludo so like everybody from labyrinth and i was like does she really need all of them and uh jareth as an owl leers creepily outside the window (laughs) so let me just talk about the pros Mm -hmm. get those out of the way all right (laughs) i liked the glitter I liked okay. that everything was painted with glitter. There was a lot of glitter in this movie. There was a lot movie. of glitter. Yeah, so I, I liked that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad a person who has dwarfism got some work. Did you know this is the first realistic CGI animal in a feature-length film? I, I did not know that before, and it, especially for a first time. It, it, it's much better than other CGI, which came after it. Yeah. So looked a little like Birdemic, but... A little bit, 1986. yeah. 1986. And those are the pros. <laughs> Wow, all right. I have a couple of different thoughts. Okay. Okay. So I think Jareth may be a pedophile. He seems to be disturbingly fixated on Sarah, who is very underage. He offers her gifts. He roofies her. He, like, sends things out to abuse her, and then he gaslights her because he's done all of this for her, and if she'll just let him rule her, then she can have whatever she wants. So another theory I have is, according to the clues that we get, especially at the beginning of the movie, that she has possibly created this world and romanticized Jareth, which is the ex- possible explanation as to why he has a crush on her. And uh, I'm kind of reaching. But Jared also seems to mirror Sarah because they're both stubborn, self-centered, and childish. So mm-hmm. he could be a reflection of her. Mm-hmm. So those are the three things that I kind of thought. The big problem this movie had was it's too many cooks in the kitchen. Artists do what they want to do. They get fixated on the things they like the best. Mm-hmm. What did Jim Henson want to do? Muppet. Jim Henson wanted to create really cool puppets that adults would take seriously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Bowie. And what does he want to do? He wants to create cool Music. Party music that's mm-hmm. kind of weird and abstract. And so you've got... That kids would like. There's so many, like, islands to this movie. Yeah. And then you have, like, 25 different drafts of the script. There's an extra somewhere. There's an extra, like, six-minute bed scene song with David Bowie and Jennifer Connelly that the test audiences were like, dear God, cut that thing. It's such... It's it's so I pedophile. Think, I think I saw the still from that because I was like, what is that? And, I feel and like it was just a Frankenstein of ideas and things. Exactly. What it needed was that it needed a stronger hand to kind of streamline into a story. And you can make the story be on a couple different levels. Sarah is not a very likable character. She's a little grating, a little shrill. It took me a while to identify with her because... I just didn't like her and did not like the way she handled that baby. And just the, the whiny, like, that's not fair, all the mm-hmm. time. I could relate to her being wounded. I felt for her more. That doesn't excuse what she did, but I could see more on why. Like, it's not that she's evil. She's really hurting, and she doesn't know how to deal yeah, no, with it. No, she's not evil. She's just selfish. So she's, and... so she's created this huge imaginative hallucination that she's living through to try yeah. to make sense of it. So the music, um, you know, I'm not a fan of musicals. I felt like the music was just kind of slapped on um, when I was watching it. And then when I went back and I kind of looked at the lyrics, the lyrics are creepy. And Mm -hmm. further the, uh, my pedophile, like, (laughs) 
theory. Yeah, and that's how Jim Henson got him. It was like David Bowie was like, yeah. okay, I like I like the germ of the idea here. And, and, and Jim was like, you do whatever you want, I'll shoot it. So it does feel like a different island. This was definitely modeled after Alice in Wonderland, where in Alice in Wonderland, things don't make any sense and nobody is very helpful. And I hate that. I hate Alice in Wonderland. I hate all of the derivatives of Alice in Wonderland movies. It's, it's kind of like being... In stories... It's kind of like a teenager for the first time trying to figure out, oh, I can't necessarily trust everybody. I have to make sense of this. And yeah. I can't necessarily trust people. I don't like that. Yes. So so this would definitely give little Corey nightmares. Mm-hmm. It definitely gave big Corey nightmares. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> for different reasons. And I uh, am distressed to report that they uh, have a sequel planned. They've been planning it since 2016, and it's changed hands a few times. So real good news. Yeah. And then they finally have somebody who's going to direct it. He, he did the Doctor Strange oh, okay. in the MCU. And, uh, yeah, I wasn't a big fan of that one. But well, okay. then you're probably not going to like this. And Lisa Henson is going to produce. Here's hoping. Yeah. Hoping. I mean, that's a, well, I mean, that's like I'm hoping that it's a good movie. I mean, it, it's so funny. You know, it's like that anything ever gets made is amazing there's no one way to do it it's like oh well this is you can't say this is the formula where it will automatically be amazing right. you know so it's like sometimes it's good when it changes hands 15 times mm-hmm. sometimes it's good when it's just held on to by one person who has a really strong vision for it so would you like to hear my rating um i i don't think there's any doubt <laughs> on what that rating is going to be but yes i just i didn't like this movie <sighs> it makes me sad to do this but I just have to give it two thumbs down. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, it's, it's your opinion of it. And, yeah. you know, it, it is, after watching it again, I like I said, I thought being a couple decades older <laughs> that there would be a lot more to it that I didn't see. Mm. And it's like, oh, there, was. oh, there, there really wasn't. <laughs> there, really, <laughs> there really wasn't. So it, it has a, I think it's one of those movies that you can kind of, if you put your own stuff on it. Mm-hmm. Then it do you can think become. I'm putting my own stuff on this. Well, I mean, we all put our own stuff on it as we go. But do you think I'm putting my own stuff on this? Well, I think that's impossible not to. So I think some people, they just really love the movie for like little bits of it. Right. And uh, Even you know, it's like the like the problematic. Yeah, and like the Escher scene. I, I think I forgot to mention. I love the MC Escher scene at the very end mm-hmm. with like the stairs and like it's so creepy how he's like I able like to defy gravity. And, MC Escher would be rolling over in his grave. And I, I like the crystal juggling. Oh, yeah. That was pretty cool. That reminded me of Alec Baldwin and Glenn Gary and Glenn Ross when he talked about how you have to have brass balls. I mean, it, it is interesting with a movie like this how how much of a hold it has on pop culture. Mm-hmm. That tons of people talk about it and think about it still, even though it's like, really? Because it, it's a bit of a mess. So, yeah. But hey. But so's The Room. No, no, do not put that evil on Labyrinth. Do not put that evil on Excuse that. Excuse me? Don't put that evil on the room. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> killing me. You're tearing me apart, Labyrinth. Oh, hi, David Bowie. <laughs> so if I had a choice between watching Labyrinth over and over and over again or mm-hmm. watching Clue over and over and over again, mm-hmm. I would choose Clue. Wow. So I hope everyone's happy. What if it was <laughs> a mashup of Labyrinth and The Room? Would you watch that over and over again, or would you watch Clue? Uh, do you mean like Tommy Wiseau as Jareth? 
Oh, no, no. Tommy Wiseau is the only choice to play Sarah. No. Sarah's got to be then played no. by Tommy Wiseau. No, Tommy Wiseau has to be Jared. Oh, and no. then I might just watch it out of like, uh, I train wreck. I don't, need to, I don't need to see Tommy Wiseau in those pants. Like, I, <laughs> I'm going to have to do an executive decision here to say no to that. Then, no. The, my answer is glue. So, uh, I did just watch uh, Aluminum Foil by Weird Al. Mm hmm. And I thought it was really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and I enjoyed the uh, <laughs> the conspiracy theory uh, skew into an alternate reality. That was pretty funny and very love, apropos for our time. I love how you ruin everything. What like do you, you mean? spoil it all. What are you talking about? It's like a three minute music video. <laughs> it's like. If you haven't heard about it by now. But you liked it. And then you also showed me uh, the um, word crime video, which I, as an English teacher, found quite funny. And I wish I had an English class to show it to. Uh, unfortunately, our six-year-old is a first grader, and so she's a little too young for it. I don't think she would get it, get the jokey jokes. When well, you said you do a little bit of extra research, too, right? Um, yeah, so I found out about my favorite character from UHF, the cameraman. Um, mm-hmm. So his name was... Wait, the big black guy or the, the tall... Yeah, not Noodles Macintosh. So his name was Lou B. Washington because mm-hmm. he's no longer with us. Aww. He was a regular on the Richard Pryor show. Nice. And he was in like Good Burger and some other stuff. Yeah, he was like kind of like you were saying, like one of the low-key like kind of comedic actors. Mm-hmm. And the crazy thing, which I'm still not sure if this is true, true because it just seems crazy to me is that he was one of the founding there's five one of the founding members of steel town records really which launched the careers of it said jackson five and michael jackson it was a collective of businessmen and musicians and so he was actually also a singer so um yeah he was one of the five that launched this record label crazy yeah so Corey, what are we gonna watch next week i'm really excited i know um, I have been suggesting it every week. <laughs> Since about three weeks before we start the podcast. Uh, we are going to be watching Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. Ugh. I love this movie. It's so funny. So many memorable lines and uh, the, the, the costumes and uh, maybe some uh, surprises in casting. It, it's a cult classic. I've, I've yet to see it. It has uh, Alan Cummings in it, who mm-hmm. I has a special place in my heart. This is like the movie that you put on when you just want to just want to be happy. And so, what do I get to watch um, in a payback for making you watch Robbie and Michelle? This was a really tough one. So we tough. went through so many different options on this. And so it kind of landed with <laughs> like, okay, I knew it was a buddy film and I knew it was a road trip. Mm-hmm. And so we I mean, literally I had like 10 others and none of them just seemed to fit mm-hmm. until finally I was looking on the bookcase, and I saw a road trip film about two best friends, unconventional best friends, who have one last ride together. And so we're going to be watching Logan. What, now, when you say one last ride, am I going to be crying? Because of how much superheroes are in it? Yes. Um, <laughs> but for other reasons. Well, Logan actually has gotten really good reviews, and mm-hmm. there's a possibility you could cry at the end. Okay. So, But the acting is absolutely excellent, mm-hmm. and um, there are definite superhero parts of it, but 
it's a great drama that happens to have superheroes. It's not a superhero movie, which is basically the only of all of the Fox X-Men movies that actually managed to do that. Is this like Captain Magneto and... That's the right universe almost. So, yes, there is no such thing as Captain Magneto, but it's uh, <laughs> Professor X and uh, Wolverine are in it. So it stars Hugh Jackman and... Patrick Stewart, two actors um, who I know that everyone has to have at least respect for, even if it's yeah. not their favorite. So, I like guys. yeah, so I am under no illusion that you'll love this movie. <laughs> but when well, we, you were, know, we might get surprised. Yeah, well, it, it, it is a, it is an excellent movie. So, right. so thank you everybody for listening to us this week. Uh, we really appreciate it. Wherever you're finding us, subscribe and like rate and just say like hi. We still don't as a review. We still don't understand how. I don't know how, how works. this works, but. Um, but the other thing is also, uh, Corey always does an amazing job coming up with super cool pictures, which oh, yeah. have to do with, uh, with our conversation. So yeah, we have a Facebook page, uh, which, uh, inside, uh, information is a little bit better than our, uh, Instagram page just because Instagram limits the amount of photos I can use and it doesn't let me caption them, mm-hmm. which, uh, I can't work like that. So um, if you would there like you to check it out, it's there. It's the, you know, it's it's the uh, truncated version of what I do on uh, He Saw, She Saw podcast on Instagram. And then just uh, He Saw, She Saw on our Facebook page. All right. So check us out there. And so with that, next week it's friendship. Best friendship. And road tripping friendships. It oh. is probably going to be a beautiful disaster, but <laughs> <laughs> it'll be fun. <laughs> All right, so thank you so much, guys, and we'll talk at you next week. Talk at you next week. Bye. Bye. That's one of the interesting things about Norm MacDonald that we just lost recently Mm. was that I have never seen a comic crack up other comics Mm. like not be able to breathe. Right. I mean, I thought he was funny. Yeah. But I didn't think he was super funny. The more he bombs, the more comics crack up. And Mm -hmm. I, I think... It's I admire his fearlessness. The idea of, I think this is funny, and it's incredibly stupid, but I think it's funny. (laughs) I think this is clever, so I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. So, like, the Bob Saget roast is a horrible set, and all the comics are just dying. dying. Yeah, R.I.P. Norm MacDonald, R.I.P.